You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. I literally just um, described um, Drew to you as um, uh, Cohen meets uh, Dylan uh, in a revival, but goes through heartache. How's that as a... It's perfect. I, I love I love the Dylan and the Cohen comparisons for sure. I mean, they're both in my wheelhouse. So, yeah, <laughs> I love well, it. Uh, this will be fun. I, I actually um, I asked John O'Martin, would he mind me interviewing you? Because I felt like I was um, nicking his mates. Ah. And he was like, I mean, you know, John, he's like, no, 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 of course. Yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, but, but this is fun. Um, Andy, uh, do you have a particular passage which you've chosen to explore together? I actually do. I, I've, the past year of my life, I've been riffing on John 6 pretty heavily. And, uh, oh, great. but I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to avoid the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water and get, get to the part where he starts talking about being the bread of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. My thought was, I, you know, I, I, I was listening to the episode that you sent me and her, her passage was, was rather long. And so I was, I mean, it felt like that was acceptable to you guys. You know, whatever you length you want, you know, we have had one verse, a couple of people just shared one verse, but normally it's a, it's a passage and yeah, we can dwell with it. So, yeah. So, and, and I, and I think probably what I'm going to talk more about is uh, just the iconography of bread in general. I mean, I, yeah. I can speak to a lot of what's happening there, but really the impact of just the symbol of bread has you know, done some work on me this year. So that's probably along the lines of what I'll, you know, talk about. Beautiful, mate. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, uh, So it it falls to me to do you an intro. And um, I I, I didn't ask for you to send anything uh, through. Uh, But as way of intros, um, my son listening to your stuff, his response in the on the way to school in the car this morning, while rain f- falls weirdly in November um, mm. for Perth. Um, so th- this is our spring. Yeah. Um, a- as others join us to listen. Um, uh, his response was simply, wow, he's good. Mm. And um, that's, <laughs> I love that's, a, that's, that's a wonderful intro. I, I thought an- another way of introducing you um, uh, if you don't mind, and then I'll uh, allow you to put words to um, uh, your reality, but uh, your recent song, Dead Horse, uh, th- this um, first lyrics that, that roll out of the song, here is the harvest of heartbreak. Here is the threshing of tears. I'd give you my dream, but I lost it down in the locust years. Still praise is the song that I'm singing even though sorrow is my tune. Oh, my love is only a whisper now, but nothing is wasted on you. Here is my harvest of heartbreak. Here is 
is my threshing of tears I'd give you my dream but I lost it down in the locust years still praise is the song that I'm singing even though sorrow's my tomb oh my love is only But nothing is wasted with you. My goodness, Andy, that um, other than songwriter, um, uh, musician, poet, uh, how do you introduce yourself? I, I, I'm honestly, I've been thinking a lot about this. I, I people ask me to write bios all the time, and I. It, the hardest thing to do I, I I'm basically an uneducated lover of words that's really that's really how I think about myself you know so like you know that Wendell Berry says that um, the thing that you feel anguish over is is the invitation of the spirit into your vocation you know mm. so I think that the work that I've been doing you know, in my local church and then in broader, in a broader, you know, uh, public way, I've, I've been working to synthesize kind of the best parts of my earlier years of belief. And then, you know, I've been through enough tragedies in my life now where my earlier theological frameworks have come and gone. And mm. so, trying to preserve my faith and you know go into the future without a cynical heart that's i think yeah well Andy. the thing that i've been working to do especially through my music so i, mean, I don't that's, know question <laughs> no it but it, it's the most beautiful and i think it says a lot about um uh, you as the soul that uh that's how you'd introduce yourself as well. Uh, Andy, as a way of getting started, we'd love you to actually um, read the passage you want to lift up and yeah. um, we'll, we'll jump in. Yeah, so this is taken from John chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to start in, in verse 26, or John chapter 6, verse 26, and just as a setup, he's fed the 5,000, he's walked upon the water, and he's kind of going into this place where he's about to lose a good chunk of his ministry. You know, Jesus is faithfully diminishing himself, you know, uh, and but he kind of does it in a unique way here. Starting at verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me, uh, I'm sorry, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread of heaven, which came, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And I'll stop there, but I will add in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, I can get, I, I can start preaching on every verse there. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get preaching, um, you know, we love to just, um, learn about your story and your journey, and particularly your journey as it relates to engaging the scriptures. And so I would love to hear about, uh, as you like kind of reflect and think back, you know, what were some of your early memories? Like, when do you remember first encountering the Bible? Um, are there particular moments and experiences that kind of stand out to you? Yeah, I have a very distinct memory of this. I was probably five or six years old, so, so here's my family background. I, I'm raised in the Bay Area of Northern California. Uh, my mom and dad married when, uh, when they were real young and uh, <clears throat> they divorced early on. I was probably four, um, you know, neither of them confessing Christians. My, my dad's family was culturally Christian. My mom's parents were, uh, they were San Francisco beatniks. My, my grandparents, their their hero was Lenny Bruce, the comedian. I don't I'm, I don't know if he's on your radar at all, but um, they were they were free thinkers. My my mom often tells the story of of uh, she, she didn't even know what a Bible was growing up, and and one day Billy Graham came on the television, and her dad said to her, "That's the most dangerous man in America. Don't believe any words you ever hear come out of that man's mouth." So, so I was born into, I mean, they were great people, wonderful people, uh, but they ended up getting divorced. And um, so myself and my little brother lived with, with uh, our dad in a, a, you know, lower income apartment complex uh, in the city. And, and this is, we, we were little street urchins, man. We were just running around just on our own because dad was either at work or he was going to school getting his degree. So we were kind of on our own. Uh, there was a lady in the neighborhood. You can't really do this anymore, but she would go around to the, all the kids in the neighborhood and she would invite them in to her apartment, living room, and, and she would promise them candy. And, uh, but she, was, she told us Bible stories and she had a little green felt Bible <laughs> Bible thing on there. I, I mean, like, you know, for all the crap that the evangelists, 
evangelicals get these days, you know, they really have introduced a lot of people to Jesus, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just a young rug, rug rat, you know. All I've heard is the promise of a Snickers bar, you know, and you know, so so I go in there and she starts putting these little figures, these bearded men with robes and starts telling us about God and Jesus and sin and and this plan of salvation. And I, I remember having a real existential moment with that mm. encounter. Mm. And, and looking back on it later, it was like, I, I couldn't articulate it then, but now I would say that I believed, I believed in God even before I knew God was a concept. Mm-hmm. And when some kind of language like that was given to me, it was so easy for me to believe, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was my that was my first introduction with the Word of God, as elementary as it was. And you know, it was in some ways rather messed up too. And, you know, we we have to get over some of our, you know, tradition that we've been given. But uh, but nevertheless, it marked me. It in and, and from that moment on. I have this strange journey with with the man Jesus Christ and if if you'll allow me just to tell a little bit more of that story they they would hand out these little bible verse you know cards that we would take home and obviously at that age I had no clue what was happening with these with the language that was printed on these things but my mom had remarried uh, a man at, by that time and and she was they were hippies and he was in a rock band and playing drums in a rock band and and so i would i would take these verses to my dad's house and he was wasn't unkind but just ambivalent to it but then i would i would take them i would see my mom every other weekend and i would take them to her house and she and my stepdad eventually went down to the christian bookstore and bought a bible because of Hmm. these little scripture things and and that's how they met jesus and then they've they've been jesus ever since and uh, so really (laughs) really quite an extraordinary story yeah Yeah, that's amazing andy it's amazing andy when when you think about um uh so so you mentioned lenny bruce and i'm thinking here, here is someone who's um uh, challenge to speak what is unspeakable while making people laugh um, mm-hmm. has shaped his his comedy um, and, and really shakes so much. Uh, I've got many dear friends who are stand-up comedians and um, uh, what he did with comedy kind of reshaped um, the whole genre, like it, it changed. Um, uh, with that being in the air and that kind of fierce truth-telling that um, his comedy... Uh, requires both of of listeners and of of him as a comedian with all the trouble that it caused i imagine um bible verses coming into your home whether it be uh with snickers wrappers um uh and and memories of um flannel graph um of bearded dudes in dresses um, from down the street um 
was the Bible related to initially as something that was liberating or was it something that was related to as oppressive? And what was your own experience of the scriptures, like both initially and as you um, continued to encounter the scriptures? Yeah, so encountering them from a young age, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Uh, my, my, my mom and stepdad eventually in, landed in a charismatic Pentecostal denominational church. And so from a very early age, I took in, you know, a fairly middle of the road evangelical framework, theologically speaking. Um, and and I, I didn't know that there was controversy about anything. I, I didn't know that ideas about God were being wrestled through by many different types of persuasions. So in a way, I had the gift of just receiving the orthodoxy that was being presented to me and then kind of facing the world with that. So mm -hmm. I remember as a, as a young middle schooler or even as an early teenager facing issues at school with, you know, I don't know, all of the teenage angst that occurs. <laughs> I, I, I remember reading the Psalms in a comforting way. So, so David would in a, in, a, in, a, in a psalm would be talking about or praying that God would strike his enemies down. I, I, I could relate to it. I, I thought, wow, man, this is fantastic. You know, like maybe God could take care of this bully who's been messing with me in math class, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. And, and that's, that's funny and extreme, but, but there was the sensitive side too. You know, God mm. is my refuge and God is my strength. And, yeah. you know, kind of, I don't know. I think I, I don't know that everybody's this way, but I was I had a very, very uh, acute uh, um, sense of my own mortality from a very early age. So I was always aware of godness and, and all of the things that are happening in life. So. Uh, so so. In, in, in finding comfort in the scripture, like in the Psalms, as I mentioned, but then, then later on growing into, a, a, you know, young adulthood, even just um, because my childhood was rather tumultuous, I got a lot of comfort and strength out of a severe systematic understanding that I received from my church community. It was it was actually a real gift of stability for me and, and, and gave me just a, I don't know, something to to live from, e even though in, in many ways we were wrong in some pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So. so as you think about um, like your experience, your journey that you've been on, your story, um, with, like one of the things that we are always interested in is like thinking like everyone has a gift to offer, um, to kind of help others see and read scripture in more liberative ways. And so I'm curious, like what from your own story and experience shapes how you read the text and could potentially be a gift to others as they read the Bible as well. Well, so maybe over the last decade of my life, I have been heavily influenced by a man named Robert Capon. I don't know if, if y'all know him. He, he was now, 
Andy, I, I didn't until I heard um, you and Jono talk about his work on the parables, right? Yes. Uh, he, 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 he was a New York City guy. Uh, if you ever get a chance to hear him, his, his voice, it's, it's so cool because he's got this really gritty New York accent. He sounds like a boxer, but he's always got his collar on, you know, and <laughs> not only one of the brightest minds ever, but his writing style is very lyrical and just, mm. just such a, I, I love writers who can take really lofty concepts and put them into ways that are, we can receive, right? Yeah. So, so what Capen's done for me is he, well, he, he relieved me of one hermeneutic and led me to another. All right. So, so I would say that uh, my, my pre-existing hermeneutic or the, the lens that I saw the scripture through was one of God being in control of everything all the time. E even, even in the seasons of my life where I couldn't articulate that too, that was the background program. Yep. But that always made me wonder because I kept running into really bad trouble, you know, like not just one tragedy in my life, but you know, you know, it's so funny. Like you have a tragedy in your life and you go, oh, fantastic. I've gotten through this. My suffering quota is filled. The universe is going to let me off the hook, right? And <laughs> I've experienced the opposite of that. And, and so you start, you start running into enough severe situations that your, your belief system can no longer handle you find out that your hermeneutic is actually bankrupt it has limitations all hermeneutics have limitations yep and 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 so i think maybe if i was to offer up anything it would be that it would be read the scriptures humbly know that whatever belief grid that you've you've managed to build to help you in your understanding, hold that thing loosely because there will be other traditions and perspectives yep. that can speak into what God actually wants to get to you. But if you're, if you're fully rooted in this one thing, then you're going to, you, you'll probably miss out. And, and so Capen, he helped me with, um, well, this is a, another long conversation, but he, he helped me understand the symbolism and the, the metaphor and the analogy and the, all of the things that we see, all of the wordplay that we see Jesus using in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to go from a literal, uh, uh, only a literal interpretation of the scripture to something much more beautiful, you know? Mm. Yeah, Andy, even in your choice of, John's gospel, which is almost um, uh, like it, it is the theologian's gospel, right? It, it is uh, if uh, it, it's been left to distill um, yep. longer and it goes from the, the socio-political of the synoptics into the theocosmic mm -hmm. of um, it, it's almost like a the, the expectation in the early church is um, you've got the other three 
and mm -hmm. here's a theological commentary um, to meditate upon it. And it's a um, it's it's a different genre almost um, that yep. the whole book. And even you focusing in on on bread, um, there is a certain poetic sensibility. Um, uh, for those who love your music and, and know how well that you um, play, even with pauses, which I find really interesting, how, how you change the, mirror, uh, the meaning of words um, by pausing um, uh, at certain places and adding more, almost allowing people's previous theological constructs to come forth, and, and then you exercise them in the next line. Um, mm. I'm thinking... Uh, um, I'm sorry, I don't know your work um, well enough to be able to qu quote it um, that quickly, but there is a hymn that you wrote about um, love never failing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and um, you talk about all the dams. Yeah, we have no dams to give, yes. Yeah, yeah. Would, you, would you quote that little um, uh, stanza for us? Would... Uh, yes. Uh, uh, some of us sinners... Uh, oh, hey, I've got my guitar. Can I? Can, I, I oh, can't. please, would you? No, that would be incredible. That would be awesome. <laughs> Drew, that was all just a setup to make Andy yeah, go right. get his guitar. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy, would you even? Would you feel comfortable to sing the song? Uh, yes, I would. Can, can you give me uh, eight seconds to pull the lyrics up? Because. I, I, I am, <laughs> of course, I unfortunately uh, don't know all the words to this song. <laughs> yeah. As oh. I said uh, to my friend Joel Macero, who's a, um, a, a well known uh, spoken word poet here, I was like, mate, I've never heard you do that version before. And he's like, I've never done that version before. I forgot the lyrics. Oh, <laughs> right. oh, oh I'm so sorry, guys. I, I should have been more prepared for this. I had no idea. Oh gosh! No, this, this is fun, and I think Andy, for um, uh, for those who don't know um, your craft, it might be a wonderful way into this passage that you've chosen as well. Yes, this is great. Okay, here we go. Some of us sinners, some of us saints, some of us between a rock and hard place, some of us welcome, some of us not, some of us the scapegoat, some of us the mob, and all of us guilty, then all of us free, a cup of joy poured out for our great relief. So when the abyss had us tied to the rails Like a runaway train, love never fails Well, some say it's crazy and some take offense some swear the law still demands recompense. Some shot the sheriff and the deputy too. And some heard the cock crow in the light of the moon. 
Well, all are atoned for, the wicked made whole. The world's scarlet letter is washed white as snow. So when the albatross curse all the wind from our sails, we have no dams to give, because love never fails. A weapon will prosper, a levy will break. The heartbreaker gives you more than you can take. Oh, I, I forget that lyric, but it's really good. Let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy, I, I so appreciate your willingness to just pick up the guitar and me call on songs um, from your catalogue and just play them. It's super generous. Will prosper, a levy will break. The heartbreaker gives you more than you can take. The trouble in trusting a savior not seen. You find out he don't fail when he don't intervene. You find out he don't fail when he don't intervene. Even the um song that I, I quoted before i know this is a, a new one for you there's yeah. a, a line where you talk um about stillborn and you use that pause in the s- same way that you use the pause for um uh um some of us sinners some of us saints uh some yeah. of us in between a rock and hard place yeah um that there's a the setup where you're always asking us to um merton has this line where he he talks about um what prayer requires of you is to take a sledgehammer and to start hitting the floor in which you're standing upon. And I feel so much of um, your lyricism asks of us to um, uh, hit at the understandings that and on the surface, and it, we're even in the same stanza and you've asked us to fall down somewhere deeper um, yet again. Um, uh, but before we allow you to play uh, in, in John 6, and, and we just open that up some, uh, that that line where you talk about um, stillborn and you allow the pause for everybody to uh, flood in, oh, this must be Andy uh, saying that God causes horrible things to teach us some uh, larger lesson. Mm-hmm. And um, you break that wineskin while people are listening. W- would you give us um, uh, just those few lines? Yeah. Um, are, are you, are you talking about, I have a couple songs. Are you talking about the one uh, you bring the morning? Uh, uh, I, I was actually thinking um, even in dead horse. Oh, um, in dead horse. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, oh, here's, here's my secret miscarriage. Here's my public divorce. Nobody taught me to let go. So I learned how to be the dead horse. Here is my secret miscarriage. My public divorce. Nobody taught me to let go, so I learned how to be the dead horse. I I lead worship a lot in my. It's it's what I do actually full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've I've struggled. I've struggled over the last few years finding songs to sing. And uh, one of the main critiques that I've heard from folks that have lost 
really big. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about being inconvenienced. I'm talking about yeah. folks that have lost children. Right. You right. know, you know how it goes. Um, that there's been, and I know I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't already know, but th for the sake of the conversation, so many people have come into our places of worship and not had a place to, well, forget processing their pain, just processing their lives. Like just, just the, whatever, whatever folks are going through mm. is generally met with songs that have um, mostly to do with some version of triumphalism. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, because I'm telling you, I am here for the joy. I, I'm, I am a joy junkie. I'm an ecstatic joy junkie. I love the presence of God. I'm a Pentecostal through and through. <laughs> I, I want all of those glorious things that we, we find when the people of God gather together. But, but what I want to testify is that you cannot get to actual joy through fake methods or mm. fake methodologies using tired plastic language. You can mm. actually only get to the joy if you, you have, if you have openly faced the heartache, the tragedy, mm. The, the loss from cancer, the, the loss of relationship, the loss of, you know, you name the loss. I mean, you can't have a church of 150 people and have everybody show up for 52 weeks a year and everybody just be, you know, having the best time of their lives, you know, <laughs> in perpetuity. It's like, yeah. Yeah. it's like somewhere along the line, we are going to have to articulate the struggle and i think it, it's interesting you know my my christianity has definitely been influenced by my my heritage from my grandparents my mm. my lenny bruce loving grandparents i know i know that i got my ability to stand in the face of the status quo and do something different from them you know somehow there was this mm. suspicion given to me this like holy suspicion when i'm you know standing in in these mighty places you know it's it's, it's a hard thing to like if you are, are in the middle of this vast corporate church structure and you're going to sing something that includes a dead baby, you're probably going to lose. You know, it's, it's not like you're going <laughs> to yeah. shoot for one on the CCLI. That's the wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not the one. That ain't, that ain't the one. <laughs> you know, so, so like, like we make decisions, we make artistic decisions, we make, philosophical decisions those and those decisions have consequences so if you want to be invited to the party you got to make the right decisions i i i'm not a i'm not a pariah i i can't pretend like i'm way out on the margins i'm not i live a very good life i've got i'm i don't know i've i've got air conditioning at home i'm doing well right hmm. And nevertheless i've decided that i when i pick up my guitar or when i write a song i 
I just know that there are folks out there who are looking for the poets who can sing the critique, who can sing the protest, who can sing the laments. Yeah. And, and those, that is the language that is going to lead us into the joyful orthodoxy that Christ has for us. Hmm. I, I'm just, I'm a, I, I've just seen it too many times. Like it, it, it's, it's just, it's actually, this is, this is interesting. I, I'm talking negatively about the praise and protest thing, but it is actually a whole lot of fun. It yeah. really, it's so, it's so satisfying. It's so yeah. invigorating. I was talking to a friend recently and I said, his name is Sam Yoder. He, his art artist name is Silicone Boone. And I said, I said, and, and he's, he's, he's rooted in faith, but he's doing everything outside of the church. And I said, Sam, what if you, you grew to a hundred years old and you had spent your entire life writing contemporary Christian music and, and, and on your deathbed, you would just be so filled with regret. Like, but, <laughs> But, but what if you just said everything that you wanted to say, everything, every song of the Lord that the Lord gave you actually gave you mm. and, and you just gave your life to that, even though you just lose over and over and over and over and over. But you're like you're playing. It's like people who do that, they they're they're playing by kingdom rules. It's like it's a small, invisible seed and it does its best work in the darkness, hidden from all to see. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, as you're talking, it's just making me think about because, um, so I think about the black church tradition, right? Which, so on one hand, historically, um, you could say like what you're talking about is what has sustained the black church yeah. from even from the official invisible institution, right? But, mm -hmm. but let's be honest, also, like, and this is a frustration for many folks, even right now, is there's segments of gospel artists that are superficial and the commercialization of it has just eaten it alive. Right. Mm. And I'm not oh. saying that all the black gospel artists are doing that, but I think that there's a way in which, you know, it, they found out the formula to win, right. Um, mm. And to go commercial. And it's really just um, in comparison to what the music has been in the life of the black church. And for so many people entering into going through pain and struggle and superficial cliche answers just weren't going to be good enough right, right. um and so it, it's just interesting to even see powerful traditions sometimes how that can even get siphoned off uh, when we're not careful yeah yeah Andrew, uh, yeah go ahead yeah oh sorry I, I was just gonna say like um you know when Gil Scott Heron um uh, talks about um out on Sunday night um in church uh, out on Saturday night in church Sunday to get right. Like there, there's always been a dialectic between like the jazz club um, or um, the, the, the blues house right. um, and, and Sunday worship. And I think Andy, what your music represents for so many is the integration of um, what some will call the, 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 the sacred and the secular. Um, yeah. I mean, the fact that you can go from in one line of talking about um, I keep missing you because I'm in the liquor aisle to I'm um, uh, prostrate in worship 
Um, yeah. that's, that's blues, that's jazz, and that's gospel in the same place. And I think, right. Drew, what you're articulating is there's a whole generation that finds, uh, whether it be hip hop or um, with our dear uh, sister, um, Brittany Spence, um, uh, country, or um, there is something more honest that is happening um, uh, in the coffee house uh, as somebody plays an acoustic, then it sadly happens in the sanctuary on Sunday that the mm -hmm. Psalms aren't welcome other than the ones that um, uh, keep the business turn churning over, um, which is part of the thing that I see you subversively and, and your mates, Andy, our mates in common um, with Common Hymnal yeah. starting to play with that part of the reason why there's no place for protest in our praise is because there's no place for lament and we're not found in the streets actually articulating what people are going through as um, a response to God. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, Andy, we would love for you to open up this particular text um, with us and, and just play some. What, what rumbles around in you as uh, um, you well, traverse these words? So uh, <laughs> where do I begin? I, this is a passage I've read my whole life. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's nothing new. It's, it's, I, I'm, I'm tyrannized by the familiar in this chapter as much as anything that I've, that I can find in, in scripture. But I think that one of the main thoughts that has really given my heart life, not only has it, has it infused my heart with life where I can feel the spirit, but it's also been, it's been formative and it's been directive because I've been thinking about the nature of God or the character of God. I mean, the character of God is something that's been, you know, talked about for centuries, but I think in the moment that we're in the theological moment and the the, the political moment that we're in, in the, especially in the U.S., uh, our, our understanding of the nature of God is actually, or character of God is actually affecting our actions. It's actually leading what we do with our hands and our feet. And, and I, I was kind of just doing this exercise in my mind where I was thinking about what God was like. And it, and, and it just dawned on me that it, how fascinating is it that almighty God, you know, the Calvinists love to talk about all the, these attributes of God being all powerful, all knowing, uh, everywhere, all of the time, you know, all, all of these like superhero attributes, right? Like Sovereignty of God. Yep. <laughs> like our, this is why we serve God because he is massive. He's bigger than anything you can imagine. And, and so I think, I think that system of belief has actually put blinders on my eyes for years. It, so it totally blew my mind when I, when I saw it one day and I, I thought, oh my goodness, the God of the universe held up. If he could have picked one thing to hold up, to describe himself, to articulate who he was and what he was like, he chose bread. Like, it's the weakest, most frailest thing that you could possibly get. You know, it, the only way it feeds people is, you know, pre-bread pre slicer, you have to break it. You have to break it in order to distribute it. And 
I, I don't know. I was just having a Holy Ghost moment when I was yeah. kind of like seeing this for the first time uh, because, because I see a hermeneutic in that one icon, in that one symbol, in that one little picture that Jesus is holding up for us in John chapter six. Mm-hmm. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of God. I am the bread of heaven. And unless you eat of me, this was crazy. Unless you eat of me, you have no part in me. And that's, you know, everybody was freaked out at that later on in the, in the chapter, you know, everybody bails on him. And there's a lot of different reasons and much smarter people than I can tell us why, but like for me, uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I've done my whole life with this passage. I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure that I have bailed on Jesus. I, I've, I'm pretty sure that I have refrained from eating this bread. I'm pretty sure that I've refrained from not taking part in this, this brokenness, this, this way of life that is, is absurd, it's foolish, it's a call to losing. It's, it's, it's this hidden life. And, and I, I, I wrote this in a song after I, I, I saw this. I put it this way. Jesus, you're the bread that breaks the sword. You know, so, so like mm. in, this, in this mighty battle that's going on, in all of these theologies and philosophies and ideas about God, although it seems like Jesus is losing and he's losing big and he's losing constantly to all of the powers and principalities that we see ruling our imaginations, you know, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll pick, I'll pick on Americans for a second. The main icon that we have held up to the world is a stage it's lighting, it's smoke machines, it's electric guitars, it's, it's, it's celebrity pastor culture. That is the icon that we have held up. We have held up to the world because, because you can see it, it makes sense, it's expedient, it's logical, it's influential, it's powerful. And we have been, we have been seduced by these icons. And Jesus is coming over here and he's like, this, this bread, this little loaf of bread, this is what I'm like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's good. This is who I am. Forget all those other icons. This is who I am. And even though it seems like Jesus is losing, this long, slow, uncontrolling process. You know, this, I, I actually believe this. The number one thing that God is persuaded by is love. He, he is... He is so persuaded by love that he's relinquished all control. Hmm. It's almost like he knows how uh, relentless this bread thing is. It, 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 It only seems like it's losing. It's not losing. It just takes a really long time to win. But our joy, our joy is to feed on this bread and enter into this calling which is to be small, broken, and distributed to, I mean, you name it, all of the people around us who need us, our communities that need us, our, our people that need us. So I know I'm going on. I'm sorry. No, that's good. No, that's good. <laughs> you know, you, you made me immediately um, 
you you brought me to like a particular memory of of communion because so this was probably I think it was like 2014. I was invited to speak at uh, AMBS, Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, and this was like on the heels of after like Black Lives Matter had you know, and so giving a talk on race, you know, and that kind of stuff, and um, and there I am, and just because I was just curious about spending the time there, so I ended up like most speakers just were like gone for the day, like they came for their talk and then they were gone, but I stayed for the week. Yeah. Um, and in the final day, um, you know someone was leading communion and I grew up in a tradition where like we didn't really like have a visible bread you know um but just something about everything that was going on and how she it was just like entering us into like the pain of the world the pain of the church was going through all this stuff and when she broke the bread like literally tears just like broke, just came down you know what I mean mm. and I just you know those memories as you're talking about you know um the bread and Jesus lifting that up as the symbol to represent his work. Um, it's mm. just striking and powerful and evocative. And yeah, that is really powerful. The bread that breaks the sword. And, and Drew, I, I'm convinced that in this passage, um, it, the author had that exact thing in mind for us, that this is already a practice that is so central for these communities that are, are reading the gospel that right. all of them, have communion in mind and it's probably much more Titus love feast kind of this is an actual meal where people right. share what they have where yep. the apostle Paul has to write um hey don't forget and don't forget to recognize one another as in everybody gets a feed instead of some going hungry some being full some, some full. getting drunk I mean that's yep. not a temptation if you've got like the the little wafer and right. and, and and the shot of uh um <laughs> uh, grape juice um but in, in real community where you're bringing what you've got and you're sharing it together, um, right. all those resonances, I think, are here for people right. that they're reflecting Absolutely. on what they're participating in, what Andy draws us into in terms of this, this shared symbol of weakness, which is actually the power. Um, but it's as, it's as strong as the breaking and the sharing with one another. And, and there's no way that the um, early church can be um, reading um, the feeding of the 5,000 and not think about their own feeding of one another in these odd mixes of um, slave and free, male and female, um, uh, you know, the, the rich person who actually owns a home that we're meeting in early in, in the morning um, and people who have to run off and work jobs where literally their body is not their own. And yet here is this symbol of vulnerability where, you know, it, we're not left with a message, we're left with a meal. <laughs> That's remarkable. That's the worst strategy ever. Okay, so sum this whole thing up for us. Uh, bread in remembrance of meat. That, yeah. That's it? Like... <laughs> Well, I, I, I've arrived at this conclusion that, you know, absurdity is God's aesthetic. That's yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's right. that's good. I mean, that's the only way I can, I can figure out, I, I, that's the only way I can make sense of all of this, you know, is that absurdity is God's aesthetic and, and it's not just his aesthetic. It is his labor. It's the way he, he does his work. I mean, his his work is scandalous on every level. I mean, 
that's why we get so confused, isn't it? Because we, mm-hmm. we are logic-loving beings, and right. his logic is so counterintuitive to ours. And, you know, I, 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 think, I think, you know, back to the earlier question of what I would say to folks when they're reading the scripture is uh, read it in great humility. I think I think there's never been a time when we've been more in need of, of extravagant humility. And um, and also, here's another thing that's been super helpful for me. I think I heard Bruxy Cavi say this, but mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to butcher his quote, but it really has to do with there, there's no such thing as not bringing a bias to your scripture reading. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 in a lot of my music, my my music brings up my songs bring up a lot of conversations with people, and this this is why I'll never be a household name because most people hear them for the first time and they don't understand them. And so if I'm playing a show, they're going to make a beeline for me and ask me to explain myself because what I'm saying in my songs is not lining up with their systematic theology. You know, I get. I get in fights. I don't get in actual fights, but Baptists want to battle me all the time. Calvinists want to battle me. All the time. <laughs> this, this is like my life, right? Uh, and, and, and what's so fascinating to me is that folks that are dug in hard rarely acknowledge that that the wrestling match of ideas has been happening for two thousand years. And so even even bringing up the idea of maybe looking at the, a scripture a different way. So, for instance, I have this song called Before You, God, where I, I flip the narrative where where Jesus isn't the good shepherd looking for the lost lamb in the darkness. I'm the good shepherd looking for the Christ figure who's lost in the darkness. Mm. So, so there, there are these different ways when we're reading these stories, these parables, the Christ figure isn't always where you think he is. <laughs> you know, I used to always read the parable of the Good Samaritan as Jesus was the one who was the Good Samaritan. And then, and then I finally saw him that he was the one left for dead on the side That's of the wrong. road. And it yeah, changed everything for me. But the only way I could get there was I had to have a soft heart. I had I had to humble myself enough to be able to see past what my existing biases were. Yeah. So, that's yeah, good. It reminds me of uh, so. In fact, you would appreciate um, so Robert Gelinas. He's a pastor in Colorado, and um, his first book was called Finding the Groove. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, he kind of frames himself as a jazz theologian, right? But just um, mm-hmm. thinking about um, uh, in a whole variety of different ways, he, he's using the metaphor of jazz to kind of think through um, who God is, and in fact, plays off of Cone, right? It's that God is black, God is blue, right? Um, mm-hmm. But whole variety. But he also, um, I was even thinking with this text here, and John um, sees him as doing jazz with the "I am" statements, right? I yeah. am the vine, I am the bread, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, yeah. uh, but also the ability to play in our readings to see more right anyway i just yeah that came to mind as you're talking yeah. well it's way more fun i mean it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a better way to live guys yeah you know, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah so but it, it, even that image of um uh, baptists and calvinists approaching you after a gig uh, wanting to argue about 
lyrics that in itself says that you've spent enough time in the parables to allow them to be a form of uh, imaginative guerrilla warfare um, rather than a, a code to crack uh, th yeah. this isn't um, uh, something that you you get and then you move on that this is something instead that you undergo and to point out what we probably need to name um, in this text uh, N.T. Wright um, uh, makes a deliberate point to translate, um, quote unquote, the Jews, the Judeans, uh, making the point that this is actually about those who hold power and who okay. um, uh, have political power. And the theology is that which supports, it's the, um, the, the trestle um, that supports the, the power, the, the real political power that they hold. And so part of them, those that come to you armed with uh, uh, big back, leather-bound Bibles under their arms after gigs asking about lyrics. It's also about political power and theologies of um, uh, sovereignty, which back up a certain understanding of uh, cosmic cruelty, mm. uh, which then justify our own utilitarian work. If, um, if the first person of the Holy Trinity can be horrific to the second for some greater good, maybe I need to as well, despite everything I sense from the third person, the Holy Trinity, leading me in the opposite direction, leading me in a direction that looks like Jesus and not like this punitive understanding of justice, which isn't justice at all. But it's, it's um, to actually name what, what our Lord is doing um, in taking the I am statements, which are statements about the unspeakable name of God that we only know through, through theophanies of um, uh and intervening, which we know that God is on the side of those who cry. Mm. God is on the side of those who are um, with, have their backs against the wall, who are the underdogs, um, who are on the underside of history. And then Jesus takes um, this God of deliverance and says, and you will encounter in me as bread. This is what you're sharing in. Uh, th this is what this meal means. Th this is what you're actually being remembered into as you remember me. Um, th that's, that's such a different way of doing theology than, uh, oh, here's some cool Christian uh, uh, clicky mu music to back up what I already know, a, a little bit of uh, a a emotional outlet um, to, again, affirm the system where power is centralised um, in Jerusalem or our modern day Jerusalems and how those systems work. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking as you're talking of uh, Brueggemann's uh, prophetic imagination, where he, talk, he talks about uh, the, the, the critique and the energy, energy, uh, energizing. So, so yes. when, when the poet or the prophet comes into the court of power uh, and, and, and I, you know, like, if I if I'm the guy in this scenario and I'm and I'm playing my song and it's 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 confronting the powers and principalities that are in the atmosphere and and you know it, it's so interesting to me how uh, the uh, the those how how language how how putting words in a certain order causes things to implode or explode and and folks that are stuck in frameworks, who are hearing words that are not matching up to the framework within their imagination, <laughs> they, get, they get flustered at first because, because the, the, the principality is being challenged. And, and hopefully there's some, 
there's some setting free going on, but you know, there's always going to be a tussle, but mm. what I have seen too many times to give up on this now is that the, the energy that comes into communities of faith, even those that are locked into, you know, bad thinking when, when a guy like me does get access to a place like that, the potential for, uh, for change is is just incredible yeah that, that's why we do that's why we do this right that's why we write these songs that's why we have these podcasts using these words because there really is a massive potential for folks to be set free into eating the bread of god yeah yeah, yeah that's powerful Oof. Yeah. awesome as we like to say at my church, Shandai. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie, um, in, in this current moment where um, Pentecostalism, like uh, I'm not sure if you've enjoyed the, the number of um, brilliant remixes of, and I, I'm looking for her name in my memory and I can't find her at, at the Paul moment. Paul White. Paul Thank White. you. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so when that often passes as like a, a default understanding for a American Christianity generally, which is so unfair. Um, yeah. uh, uh, B um, at charismatic or Pentecostal Christianity in yeah. particular. Yeah. Um, when so much charlatanism is mixed up with the charismatic, how, how do you continue to eat of this vulnerable bread where mm. there are flesh pots that are constantly on offer come and just, uh, it, eat the fast food ready prepared flesh pots of empire um, and, and leave this fragile bread that you need to, to wait um, in the wilderness for. How do you continue to do that? Well, first of all, I, I, don't, I don't judge my friends that have jettisoned the, uh, the, 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 the labels of Pentecostal, charismatic or evangelical. I understand fully why folks have done that. Me personally, man, I'm bearing all the score and I can get. I'm taking it. I I, I proudly <laughs> badge because those are the people that that found me, formed me, and marked me. I mean, I learned I learned that from Hauerwas, man. Like they yeah. were asked, why don't you leave the Methodists? And that's his answer was they found me and they marked me. I'm not mm -hmm. leaving my people, you know. And and so so for me, uh honestly, I actually believe this. I think Jesus would be Paula White's best friend. As crazy as she is, as crazy as she is, I don't think that, he, I definitely think he's bringing some critique. I'm not saying that he's blessing what she's doing. <laughs> what? Now, there's an understatement. There's... <laughs> I know, I know. That's why you guys are having me on, because I'm bringing the revelation, right? That's right. You know? but, but, but anyways, I, 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 as, as badly as I want to walk away from my, my fundamentalist people, you know, yeah. and, you know, and obviously I'm not sitting at this, at the table as so many of these folks, but I, I, I don't want to be apologetic because there's so much good in the Pentecostal church. There's so much good in the charismatic church. There's so much good in the evangelical church. I, I was, I, during the during the campaign i i wrote a little twitter thread about 
uh, how I, how I wasn't going to give up on the evangelical label, although I give up on a lot of the, the presuppositions of what that means. But when we start categorizing people with these labels and only assuming negative things about these people, we're mm-hmm. falling into the same trap as, as folks are doing it from the other direction. For, for instance, I, I had, had somebody tell me that, that evangelicals are incredibly horrible people because of their wholesale support of a person like Donald Trump. I would say it's very problematic, like that that dynamic is problematic. But to say that they are all horrible people is to participate in a lie. For instance, I, I know I know folks right now, they don't have an Instagram following, they don't have a Facebook account, they don't have thousands of followers on Twitter feeds, uh, on Twitter. You could actually call them conservative evangelical Christians for better or worse. And these folks have adopted six kids, six special needs kids where they're going to be caring for these kids for the rest of their life. Hmm. You know, like, like actual doing hard work, giving of their lives to, to better the world. So my, my point is, my point is it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. My point is, is that people are complicated in every theological realm possible. And I don't want to, I just don't want to start sweeping with broad strokes in, in this discussion for the mm. rest of my life, you know? So I, I, I want to be a faithful Pentecostal witness and mm. I'm thankful for guys like Dr. Chris Green and sure. for guys like Jonathan Martin. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, there's just, well, there's quite a few that are, are really to me, leading the charge and keeping the flame of, of what true Pentecostalism is. To to quote you back at you, mercy is, mercy is the burden of the poor, the powerful, the powerful keep coming back for more. Yeah. 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 It's, it's being able to um, call out those powers. And I think this is what your music does really well. I I even love the imagery that you used um, of that, of um, uh, David, um, almost playing to um, the souls in society that there is just madness at the moment and something in your music um, both uh, soothes but also makes people aware of the madness but it makes people safe as people are aware of the madness that that is a particular gift something that will actually and sometimes we don't give enough credit for holding actions we we want living alternatives and we think that that is everything and yes it is everything or we want the active protest which says no and says this is wrong but there is such a need and such a place for um holding actions which actually create safe spaces for people where they're not preyed upon and i think there's something in your music um and in your music that others would say oh this isn't worship music but i think is is um such incredible worship music because of the content that is in it um that it's sanctified enough not to clean itself up in what it asks people to bring um uh to praise to lament um that it it actually um, the powers that are present that would mean people wouldn't feel like all of them could be present 
um, are asked to quiet in such a way, but in their quietening, people become aware of, oh my goodness, we're haunted by this stuff all the time. There mm -hmm. actually aren't safe places like this all the time. In fact, I live with a certain amount of stress, even when I go down to the shopping center um, mm -hmm. or the mall, as you lot would say, um, uh, uh, because I'm preyed upon, um, because my body is targeted because of this whole history. Um, and there's something in your music which I think allows people to um, be aware of these powers. And I deeply appreciate um, that, that this isn't a cheap mercy, which is apolitical, yep. but um, this is a calling out of the principalities and powers that create different spaces. So that um, uh, that dear family that you mentioned who are raising six children um, with disabilities that um, are others for a variety of complex reasons um, couldn't or wouldn't or whatever, mm -hmm. that evangelical is allowed to mean that as well, uh, not just right. the poor right. ones or not just the, the chaplains of the um, um, Trumpist or whateverness um, that, that passes for those terms. And um, that's that's pretty unique. And I, and I would also add that <clears throat> If we're going to hold people accountable for their lives, which I, I believe is part of our calling, you know, mm -hmm. we, it, it, when, when there is injustice going on, we want to speak to that and we want to call people to account. Yeah. I, I saw Sarah Silverman talk about this last week, I believe. She so Andy, I, I love that you lift up the the comics like they're prophets because we're on the same page. Like for me, uh, um, my good mate um, Dave Hack, he, he says um, uh, the prophets today uh, would be stand-up comedians. I uh, you, you would you would find Amos um, at, yeah. at a comedy shop. Well, well, she's she's kind of riffing on the Me Too movement, and she I think she is is just. A, a huge supporter. I mean, she's she's not. Her, her point in this video is that she 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 says so well. If we're going to call people out of the this version of life, we must create pathways out for them to redemption. The point yeah. can be to destroy them in their mess, right. especially as Christians. We have to create conduits of redemption you know, of redemptive justice for folks. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, if there's no restorative pathway forward, um, then in some ways you just get people backed up and remaining and more defensive and more yeah. digging in, in their heels. And so yeah. you've got to give a gracious pathway forward that people can step into if they choose. Yeah. And, and, by, and by graciousness, we don't mean sweeping the reality. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Right. Right. Absolutely not. It, it's why every pastor or worship leader needs to do an internship in prison reform movements. Hmm. Like uh, you, you need to spend a little bit of time um, uh, visiting those who have done things unspeakable and uh, then seeing the systems which actually keep them in spaces that are unspeakable in society where we silence them and push them out of sight, out of mind. But in doing so, um, the, the very places that need redeeming, which tell us as societies who we are, um, mm. are, are so hidden, much like a lot of popular worship music today asks us to hide half ourselves, the half that actually need the presence of God, we're asked to check at the front door as we come into the sanctuary. And we're wondering why we see so little transformation where confession isn't really welcome, Ooh. unless it's kept super vague. 
but as society is the same is true like andy we um if if we still think the death penalty is an acceptable way to treat those who who do the unspeakable we will continue to kill off in ourselves uh, those things which desperately need redemption the very places that need the touch of god uh, we want to hide and bury and say no 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 don't take this so good Ooh, I feel the Lord in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's um, Daniel Berrigan's classic line that um, the poor tell us who we are and the prophets tell us who we can be. So we hide the poor and we kill our prophets. Ooh. <laughs> so good. Mate, this has been so good. We really appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, it, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's been such a good time, y'all. I really appreciate you having me on. So good. And Andy, if, if people um, are hungry to hear more of your music um, and, and find out what you're doing, uh, how can people get a hold of, of what's going on for you? Well, the music is on all the platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, all of those, you know, and my name is spelled funky. It's last name is S-Q-U-Y-R-E-S. Squires yeah. with a and then, of course, going to ask, what's the history of your last name? Uh, well, it's 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 an Irish name, uh, but it's it's been anglicized. Well, the, the with the Y, it's the it's the older version. So when you see Squires huh. with an, that's that's the that's the modern version of that. So yeah, right. Um, you know, so people have been butchering my name my entire life. It's kind of a family family blessing. <laughs> <laughs> But then, and then, of course, I'm on all the socials. If, if if people are into that, you know, they can follow me and stay up to date. So we got a, we got a new album coming out in early February. So uh, look, looking forward to a- any sneak peeks. Um, uh, are there similar themes? I know that you've been uh, you've been walking with death. Uh, the Orthodox talk about how um, uh, uh, death is now a mercy this side of the resurrection because it's been defeated. And um, there is that um, texture to your music that um, you, you manage to walk with death in such a way where it's no longer an enemy, but nor are you befriending the effects of death. Um, yeah. uh, but th- there is something merciful uh, as you walk with it, like a- almost like um, many of our Buddhist friends um, mm-hmm. meditate on death. There, there seems to be an ongoing meditation with death in light of the resurrection that has marked your work. Is that true of this next album? Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it, it's really funny. I, 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 I've just stumbled into all of this, but uh, the, the fear of death has been, you know, quite, it's run rampant in my mind for, for years and years. And I, I, we can, we can talk about this on another show some, some other day, but without yeah, going to, without going too far into it really affected by the orthodox uh take on on death and then and then recently ash wednesday has become my favorite holiday i just it's just my (laughs) andy you are definitely another four on the enneagram aren't you (laughs) i am i'm all the way there with you card carrying oh that's amazing yeah, I know I'll be checking out your music. Um, you've intrigued me. I want to hear it all now. And I'm sure many others so are going to want to as well. Yeah. So glad. Thanks. Well, so thank much. you, good brother. All right, guys. You take, take care. care. Take all care. All right. See ya.
The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse. 